1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game and is currently looking down the back of football sofa for some loose change. I'm Kevin Day and joining me from the Devils County of Sussex, fresh from a 24-hour virtual Eurovision party, is lecturer in football finance at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Hello, Kieran. How was your revision
0: for you? Oh well, it, it, it's great because Abba won it in Brighton, didn't they?
1: Did they? I didn't uh,
0: know. And I, I had a photograph of Agnetha <laughs> taken with an old black and white camera that I took when she was walking down Brighton Seafront in 1973, seventy-four. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's got great memories for me because I was at a certain age. Did uh,
1: Agnetha know you were taking the photograph?
0: Uh, no, no. I, I was. Uh, yeah, if, if if tagging had been legal in those days, I, I suspect I might have been wearing one.
1: Do you, do you know what, Kieran? Like many many things I say on this pod, what I think is going to be a seemingly innocent introduction suddenly turns very sinister for no apparent reason. Well, the reason is that you are a man of the history. Anyway, it's it's Monday, Kieran, um, which means of course uh, questions. But a couple of stories first, and a couple of big stories as well. Um, on Friday, League Two clubs decided to end the season. Uh, It seems to general relief, and it was unanimous, apparently. Uh, Still to be ratified by the AFL and the FA. Uh, May mean a reprieve for Stevenage, but it, it seems, as with the National League, that most League Two clubs... Are relieved that they don't have to bear the financial burden of finishing the season without any fans.
0: That's right. Um, I I decided to take a look at just how bad things were in League Two. Um, The the average losses in that division are eight hundred grand a year. So you know clubs are struggling. Um, It's estimated it will cost you a hundred and forty grand for the for the COVID testing for players if matches did return, And, and clubs simply don't have the money um, yeah you know, th- there are a few things that that are outstanding uh, they've, they've not quite worked out how they're going to do the, the, the playoffs um, as yet. Um, there's got to be approval from both the FA and the EFL board. And, and I think that could be an issue for Stevenage because I think the, the uh, FA are worried that uh, it might set a precedent. Uh, you know, you, you enter a league with, with the idea of promotion and relegation. We're also hearing that uh, clubs in the championship might vote against it. They could potentially veto it. Because they fear it might set a precedent for the Premier League. If if those some of the clubs in that division say, well, if you're doing it in the EFL, why, why can't we do it in the Premier League as well? Um, so we're, we're not done and dusted by far, but uh, yeah, certainly the top three appear to be up. Um, I thought there was some uh, very magnanimous behaviour. Uh, Port Vale, who are eighth, you know, the other one place off a playoff, um, they they took the view that their owner took the view that it's more important to have all the clubs uh, you know, and they they know what it's like to be at a small club you know and uh you know it's it's a good day out in Port Vale if anybody's ever been there uh, they said that's more important than them potentially getting promotion um uh, a a standpoint which isn't being shared in league 1 where i think it's fair to say civil war is taking place
1: yeah we'll move on to that and um, before we start i hate to be uh i hate to be picky but no one has a good day out in Port Vale because there is no such place as Port Vale as you know, they are the only football club in England named after a place that doesn't exist. They're, they're in Burslem. No one, particularly, knows why they're called Port Vale. Um, they are. It's interesting that Port Vale's chairman spoke about being almost physically sick, shaking with with relief, with nerves beforehand and relief afterwards. On on a t- taking the promotion relegation issues aside, as we are a financial football pod. On a purely financial basis, most clubs in League Two seem to be suggesting, as with the National League clubs, especially Dulwich Hamlet that we spoke about, that this probably has saved them financially, this decision. Um,
0: very much so. And I think there's a just as big a decision as to when they're going to come back. Because realistically, uh, clubs in League Two that they're getting you know forty to fifty percent of their income comes through the turnstiles. So yeah. you can't return to football un- unless you've got money coming in to pay the wages and paying the overheads. Um, so you know, League Two potentially ha- have we seen it the last of it until twenty twenty one.
1: Although there is an argument uh, uh, that I've seen put forward that in League Two clubs in particular, they still have standing terracing. Some of them. So it might be easier to, to social distance at some of those clubs and to get people back in in some way, shape or form, you know, and I, I, whether it's better or not to have five hundred people rather than two thousand people, I don't know. That's a decision for the future. But at, at that level it seems to me that it is more doable than it is at a fifty thousand all seater stadium, isn't it?
0: Yes. Yes. And um there there is the potential. I'm I'm just thinking the look at the major costs we've got the wage costs i think the wage costs in league two will come down significantly this summer because there's 1400 footballers out of contract yeah uh, and yeah, you, yeah. you know market forces apply, and you know as, as as somebody that sort of knows a little bit about the economic side of things it, it's going to have a yeah, you know, a very big hit. You you can't offer big wages, and and I think clubs will be focusing on survival rather than promotion.
1: Just briefly on the Stevenage thing, Kieran. I I I was listening to Six Oh Six on Saturday night, which was a mistake. It wasn't deliberate on my part. I just happened to turn it on, and for some reason it was, it was on Radio Five and not Radio Three. And I thought I'd I'd listen to the Chimps as they spoke about the football, and it was quite interesting for two minutes. I I understand Chris Sutton's argument that it, it's it's only fair that teams that are in the top three should be promoted without playing the rest of the games. I don't understand his argument that it's also fair that teams that are in the bottom three should be relegated without... Because if, if Stevenage could still have stayed up, I think it's really unfair that they go down purely because of the, the financial uh, impact of not being promoted. There's nowhere near the financial impact of being relegated, is it? So I think there is an argument, with especially with Berry missing so you could promote you could promote Barrow just as a one-off. I I can't see the issue. I know Stevenage have had a terrible season, but I don't see why some people, some pundits especially, are throwing the toys out of their pram, particularly about Stevenage.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem a strange one. I, I think we've sort of had, had this discussion before that we, we both want football to survive and that for there to be the potential of 92 clubs next season. Who those clubs actually are, we'll, we'll sort out at a later date. Um, So, you know, getting excited about things of this nature now is pure self-interest. I know that the clubs who were potentially in playoff positions in the National League were hoping for for some form of playoff to take place, as it is going to take place in League Two, um, with with a view to picking up a second promotion spot. So therefore, that would have implications for Stevenage. Uh,
1: Now, as you said, League One haven't made any agreement um they're meeting again next week uh six clubs in particular Peterborough, Oxford, Sunderland, Fleetwood, Portsmouth and Ipswich are very keen they said to continue the season and to see it finish competitively it may or may not be coincidence that five that of those clubs are in the top seven and one of them is in the top 10 so again and I, I don't blame any of these clubs and I don't blame any of the fans of these clubs for wanting it to happen. There, There's a, more of an element of self-interest here because of course they want the season finished because they've got a chance of going up. Two, two of them, I think, would go up if the season were to be cleared, null and void. But w- what's your instinct on what will happen in, in League One? Are League One clubs... Financially, more in a position to be able to finish games behind closed doors.
0: Not really. Uh, Andy Holt uh, has—he's been on Twitter uh, as as is Andy's sort of style. Uh, You know, from his point of view, where's he going to get 140 grand from to conduct the testing? Um, And and ultimately, what's more important in 12 months, in three years' time, um, is it the existence of the club or it's having a tilt at promotion for this season? The reason why there is a different approach being taken between League One and League Two is that if you go up from League Two to League One, you get around about an extra half a million pounds in prize money, in TV money. Whereas if you go from League One to the championship, it's about seven million. And of course, you've you've yeah. then got the yeah, yeah, the benefits yeah, of, of hosting, um, you know, Forest Borough. Yeah, there's lots of big big sides in that division. you know, I'm, I'm assuming that that Leeds and West Brom will go up one way or the other. But even so, uh, yeah, we could have Villa coming down, and and the chances for, you know, the likes of Peterborough to be able to selling out their away end every week is is tempting. So it is self interest. Um, I've I've got again, I'm the same as you. I've got no interest in it. Uh, got no objection to it. But what does grate a bit is where they're trying to claim that this this sporting integrity comments. Um, it's not. You know, let's let's just say, let's just say, be honest. You know, we want to go up. We have got a chance of going up. We can make a lot of money from going up, and that's why we're doing it.
1: Yeah. To be fair, though, in terms of integrity, there are clubs in League Two and League One who are saying, particularly in the northwest, who are saying, look, towns in that area, people are not getting tested, so they're reluctant to spend money on testing footballers when, for the want of a better word, normal people aren't being tested. And also, this, the health and safety document that the EFL have released is 47 pages long. There are about 350 things that the clubs have to do to be able to play the games, and all of them cost cost money, which which it's fine for the EFL to say, well, these are guidelines, but not to say... Okay, if you can't afford the guidance, we will help you, and not, there's no suggestion that the EFL are, are actually offering any financial help to clubs to play these games behind closed doors. Not and also, of course, all the club, the players that are on furlough will have to now be, be paid wages by the by the clubs.
0: Yeah, I mean the EFL's coffers are, are bare. You know, they've had they've yeah. already advanced all the money that they do have to um as a sticking plaster approach but you know they they admitted themselves that there's it's just kicking this problem down the road and and there's an enormous black hole arriving. Um is is hibernation a better choice? Well that, that ultimately comes down to the individual clubs.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, unfortunately it doesn't, does it? Because they all have to there has to be a majority. Yeah. to agree. Um in Scotland Partick Thistle have decided to refund season ticket holders. Um, can you give us a suggestion of why they're doing that and also what sort of numbers we're looking at and how much it will cost Partick Fistle.
0: Well, Partick this or in the championship. I think they're due to get relegated to to the division below, so they're not happy about that. They were they were one of the dissenting clubs when they had the votes in Scotland. Um, Partick have got eighteen hundred season ticket holders, so potentially it, it could have cost them um, yeah, around about eighty grand. But of those eighteen season ticket eighteen hundred season ticket holders, only sixty four took up the offer of a refund, and all the others have said we, we want you to survive. So you know those people that can afford to not take the refund appear to have taken a a collective decision that we want to partick most of all to be able to support um and you know f- fair play to them uh equally I think the sixty four people who have taken it back, I'm sure many of those will have lost jobs and, and will be desperate for every penny they can get, so you shouldn't castigate them, but uh you you've got to give a lot of credit. I think it worked out as ninety seven and a half percent of the fan base said. We're not getting anything the rest of this season, but we don't want our money back.
1: OK, that's no, that's interesting, because I, I assume when I, when I read the, the notes, um, and not the research, obviously, I just read the notes and the questions, <laughs> there's a little insight into how this pod works. Um, I assume that party had, had refunded all their season ticket holders, so it's just the 64 that wanted a refund.
0: That's right. And I think a few other clubs are taking a similar approach. Um, I think Manchester United have written to to their fans and said, you can either have refunds or you can roll over the, the unexpired part into your season yeah, ticket for yeah, next yeah. season. So more and more clubs are now getting in contact um, with fans. I know, you know um, Brighton have done something similar. Uh, so I've got an email and, and you make a decision. And it's, I think it's a choice of take a refund. You can leave the money with the club yeah. or quite a few of the clubs are sort of set up charities and, and you, you effectively hand the money across to the charity. Yeah, I,
1: I, I don't think there should be any blame attached to the 64-party season ticket holders. We don't understand their financial circumstances. And also, if, you know in our world, for example, if BT sent me an email saying, look, we've not been able to provide you with any live sport. Do you want a month off credit-wise? You go, yeah, fine. I'll have a month off credit wise, then. I, yeah. you know they offered me this. Uh, you know, you can watch third division German football cheaper next year. It was like, no, yeah, I'll just the first option was a month off credit wise. So fine, as it happens. God bless BT and and German football. They are back today. I never thought I'd be so excited by sitting in front of two games in front of empty German stadiums with a. a, a, a I even went for a bottle of German wine just to make it authentic um, and good games they were too. Now, um, I. I this next story, I'm, it's difficult not to be cynical about this. Now, S- Stevenage and Macclesfield have been charged by the EFL. Yep. First of all, can you clarify what for? And and second, is it really cynical for me to suggest that the reason the EFL are charging them now is because they think they may not be, for one reason or another, in the EFL in three months' time?
0: Um, I, I think these proceedings did did commence some time, and, and sp- especially in the case of Macclesfield, they are a serial offender. So just to run through the charges, what happened with Stevenage is that the club postponed a match in, uh, I think it was in November, um, and, and the reason why that they postponed it is that they had three international call-ups, or so they claimed at the time. Um, one of their lads was due to play for Antigua and Barbuda, um, and subsequently, he wasn't required. So it all got into a bit of a, a kerfuffle about where, where e- when emails were sent, how they were sent, who they were received by, and so on. Um, but the EFL were, were quite strict on this. They wanted a, a points deduction and a 15k fine. Um, and it, it then went to tribunal and uh, the, the charges were dismissed. And it only took 15 minutes to find a verdict in, in Steve, Stevenage's favour. Which does seem, right. you know, I, I don't know whether you've ever been on jury service, but yeah, you don't have enough enough time for right. a cup of tea and a biscuit, um, to make your mind up with with regards there. So, um, it does seem perhaps a bit of a spurious uh, prosecution by the EFL. Having said that, the, the guy who was Stevenage's lawyer, and I think he's mentioned his name before, this guy Nick DeMarco, he's he's uh Joey Barton's QC, yeah. he's Tyson Fury's QC, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so on. He is the number one man to go for. Um and uh, you know he he represented Stevenage and clearly put forward a very compelling case.
1: How did Stevenage afford him? I mean, you've, you've told me off camera, off camera. How how showbiz does that sound? You've told me off Zoom that how expensive he is that? I mean, that's a that's a lot of money for a club like Stevenage, isn't it? Just by the by.
0: Well, so, yeah. So is a fifteen thousand pound fine. So yeah, you know, and and the, yeah, and the potential yeah. the potential for a further points deduction. You know, if if they do get relegated, you lose the uh, solidarity payments from the Premier League. You lose half of the EFL. You do get parachute payments um, in the National League, but you lose half of those as well. So it it is a costly experience to get relegated. So I, I think Stevenage were, were doing what they felt was anything to, to give them a, 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 any chance of staying up.
1: I have done jury duty, by the way. and It was full on 12 angry men. They made me foreman of the jury because... Uh, one of them recognised me off the telly, so he thought I'd be able to speak, all right. Uh, and then it was quite clear that um, the chap uh, being prosecuted hadn't done it, except for one woman who decided that he looked like a wrongon, and therefore he probably needed. So it was. It, it took a long time, but yeah, I'm not giving any details. So Mac- so Macclesfield serial offenders, but is this a new specific charge, or is this is, is this to do with the on-running non-payment of players manager? Saul Campbell,
0: etc. Well, I think it's it's a mixture of things. Um, that they had had an earlier charge; they'd had a six point penalty and four suspended earlier in the season. Um, they then didn't pay their wages in February. Um, th- there was a match that was called off; uh, they were due to play Plymouth, and that uh, they called it off at very short notice because um, the, the, I think the players had refused to play, and also they couldn't get a safety certificate. So, yeah. Plymouth were out of pocket because clearly it's, it's not one, it's not a match where you can just schlep up. That's the case for most, most away games for Plymouth. Um, so overall, they've now had a total deduction of 11 points this season with a further two points suspended, which given the precarious nature of what we're seeing at the bottom of, yeah. um, of league two, you know, the gap between uh, Macclesfield and Stevenage is now very, very tight indeed. And, um, they had to go and pay ten thousand pounds in legal fees to the to the EFL, so that's you know that's half a day's work probably for uh, whoever was <laughs> representing them. Um, but I mean, to be fair to the the, the legal eagles, our, our silver tongues friends, eight hundred pages of evidence for this particular case, which is quite staggering.
1: Eight hundred. Eight hundred. Yes, that's more than your book. That's more than about ten of my book. There <laughs> so, will be people listening to this, Kieran, who and, and we've talked about this. Um, Previously, and and I've noticed the nature of some tweets recently about various other EFL uh, cases going on. But there will be people listening to this who who assume that, given the current circumstances, the EFL would just like let's forget any any charges for now until next season. But that's not the case.
0: Um, no, no, I think these are ongoing. I think they they're deemed to be separate from the issues with relation to COVID-19. Of course, we've still got the two outstanding charges against Sheffield Wednesday and Derby, yeah. um, and how long it's going to take those to be resolved is is open to question, um, because the you know the, the potential points deductions there are, are quite significant. So I'm sure both parties are trying to put forward as strong a case as possible, and, and again, gathering up these hundreds of pages of this, that, and the other.
1: Right. Now, I'm aware that you have... Um... I was going to say media interests, so we have to crack on, but they're not media interests, they're actually work interests. You're lecturing to China, aren't you?
0: That's right, that's right. Um, yeah. we've, we've got a partner university in China. They normally come across to, to London each year and, and I teach them, but uh, sadly, as a result of uh, the pandemic, I'm, I'm having to teach to China time. So I start work at uh, 5 a.m. Um, and it's it's tough for them and it's tough for me. I mean, t- teaching teaching remotely it has some merits, but it's you know I'm I'm like you I like to be in to, in front of a of a of a crowd because you then you can get to build up a proper relationship and, and a proper level of understanding. So yeah, it's an early night for me.
1: But we, well, we also know that despite your uh, lack of alcohol drinking, your body clots all over the place anyway, so it doesn't doesn't. I mean, you yeah. know. 25 years of travelling the world, having adventures that's clearly left you. Anyway, so my, my point is that we'll do one more story, and I've I've wasted more time by saying we shouldn't waste time. Um, we'll do one more quick story, and then on to the questions, all of which, of course, are very good. Now, Man City's parent company, the City Football Group, have bought their ninth club. Um, and it's an odd choice, you'd imagine, given the high profile of some of the clubs they've bought before. They bought a club called Lommel, they are in Belgian second tier, um, in the progress, in the process, rather, they saved Lommel from bankruptcy, which is, which is good. But why have they invested in a, uh, let's face it, obscure, Belgium second tier team?
0: Well, I think City are looking at the big picture. Um, what they're trying to do within the City football group is to have continuity and consistency amongst all of the clubs when it comes to training, when it comes to looking for particular talents. And they're effectively using these um, these overseas clubs as incubators. Now, um, as as far as choosing one in Belgium is concerned, you've only got to look at Belgium's FIFA ranking, um, and, and it is clearly a, a, a country which is very good at developing young young talent. Um, it is going to be more difficult for players to, to move from Europe to the UK uh, post, uh, post-Brexit. post we've, we've seen the rulings that have come out, and it's going to be on a points-based system. So I think City's approach is identify talent within Europe, get it to somewhere such as Belgium, if that player is good, then he's got a greater chance of getting international caps or getting a decent wage packet from elsewhere, and then City can sign him far easier than it would be from approaching other clubs in Europe when when they are sort of talent spotting for the the, the next the, yeah the next Kevin De Bruyne.
1: And and I presume the money involved in buying a Belgian second division club is literally, as we discussed at the start of the show, changed down the back of the sofa for the city
0: group is it um yes relatively uh, we, we know that the city group raised 500 million dollars um in november december they immediately bought mumbai city uh, and, that, and that's yeah. where a large chunk of that went i think around about 400 million yeah buying this club will be relatively cheap as you said yourself they paid off the the club's debts it had debts of 1.75 million uh, euro um and i think the the aim is to to move forward Uh, With this this idea of it helps to spread your costs, it helps to um, bring in talent, uh, because if you're looking at signing for a regular Belgian club outside the two or three that qualify for UEFA competition or this club, which has a a, a pathway to Manchester City, you can actually see it being quite attractive from a player's perspective as well.
1: Now, I asked this question as a as a, a desperate attempt to claw back some credibility um, in terms of my research because I was halfway through a bottle of wine and Union Berlin versus Bayern Munich when I realised I had this pod to record. Uh, but it, it suddenly occurred to me that... So Man City's parent company, the City Football Group, now have nine football clubs. Do those clubs have financial independence within that group or are their finances all controlled... By the so so each club will presumably still have to do separate accounts, but within within that, how much would Man City have independence from the City Football Group in terms of investments, in terms of you know. Uh, broadcasting money etc.
0: I think Manchester City are very much the mothership as far as the CFG are concerned so they they do have full independence because the aim I think initially is for City to get plenty of trophies and to increase its profile Um, in in New York um, I think there's a lot of independence as well as far as some of the smaller clubs are concerned they will be dictated to by head office um, in terms of how they do their negotiations wage levels and things of this nature but they still should be in a position to be very competitive locally um, simply because of the wealth of uh, the, the Abu Dhabi owners.
1: Now uh, on to our questions because it is Monday as you said it's, it's um, questions day. I've just been distracted by Kieran having a massive swig from his uh, silver bottle of ice water. His one indulgence well apart from Russian ladies in fur coats of course. Um, this is a very topical question from Matt Boothman. Um We've all been we're we're all Bundesliga fans this weekend, and it it has been brilliant to see some form. of... It generally has been great to see some form of live football. Social, economic arguments aside, it's been great to see football. Oddly, it, it didn't take long to to adapt to the the no atmosphere. Um, well, for you, Kieran? That would have been quite easy, I imagine. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Um, but Matt's question is. And it's a good question. With the Bundesliga starting back this weekend and getting TV money before any of the other European leagues, will that put them in pole position to cherry pick players in the transfer market? Have they got a head start?
0: Um, it's, it's yes and no. I, I think they, they've got a greater chance of survival until the end of the season we've seen the the Dutch league the Belgian Leagues the French League all close down and therefore those clubs won't have any money coming in there will have to be rebates of, of TV broadcasting fees so that's going to put them into a very delicate financial position by the by the Bundesliga continuing, continuing don't the clubs aren't going to be making Profits, you know, but they will be reducing their losses, so relatively, I think the German Bundesliga clubs will be slightly better off than those from those those countries which i 've mentioned um, and therefore they should be in a slightly stronger position, um, especially if we move further down the summer and it looks as if the Bundesliga is going to start next season and perhaps Belgium and the the KNVB decide with the uh, Eredivisie isn't going to take place um, in 2021, then you can see Dutch, Belgium, French players perhaps being attracted to come to Germany because they can actually ply their wares. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Jerry Pruitt, which is a great 70s sitcom name, Jerry Pruitt. Um, I'm quoting here. Jerry says, I have been very slowly... And studiously absorbing the first two chapters of Kieran's book. Uh, not as slowly as me, Jerry, I have to say. <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know, older older listeners may remember a classic, well, I won't have seen it first out, there's a classic Tony Hancock episode where he decides to educate himself and tries to read Bertrand Russell. And it takes him the whole episode to get through page one because he keeps having to go back and read it again. Um but Jerry, and well done for buying the book, Jerry, because especially as all the profits are going to um, a very good cause. Uh, but off the back of that, Jerry's made a very good point. He, he, he says you talk about myriad ways that clubs present their accounts. So would it be beneficial, or indeed possible, for the Premier League and the EPL to provide a template for standard presentation of financial reports?
0: Um. I think it would be difficult because Manchester United, um, they are um, they're registered in the Cayman Islands. They um, are quoted on the New York Stock Exchange, and therefore they have to uh, have to accede and comply with uh, US legislation. Whereas here in the UK, the, the other clubs are, are have to go and comply with UK legislation. Um, but certainly, there, there could be greater consistency. I, I think there's certainly. From from my point of view, and you know, we, we all know that I am obsessive. I am a trained spotter with football finance. There are things which some clubs are very good at displaying. So, I, I think I think there could be a de minimus standard. The the only trouble is when you have things of that nature, it tends to cause um, a rush to the bottom. And rather than best practice being followed, you tend to get, well, what's the minimum we can get away with? Some clubs are absolutely brilliant, very, very open. Um, Others aren't. Um, And and as you know, I I get very frustrated with those EFL clubs in the lower divisions. Um, Today, I I was asked to summarise the profitability of League Two. So I managed to do that for every club. But... Oldham somehow made six million pounds in profit, and there's no indication as to how they did that. So I, I just think, from a transparency point of view, and going back to this sort of a, this this old chestnut of ours, it's Oldham is the Oldham belongs to the fans of Oldham Athletic, not uh, a Lebanese former football agent.
1: Yeah, well. Done. <laughs> In an ideal world, it does. Unfortunately, yeah. in the real world, it doesn't. But uh, now, I, I feel I should row you back there. Obviously, I understand what de minimis standards mean, but there may be one or two people listening to this pod who have to have to check that. So, in order for them not to have to Google that, can you just explain what that means?
0: Well, it's uh, a, 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 probably sounds just a bad. Lowest common denominator. You you say well. If if you've got to show at least 20 things and you list those out, but you might have some clubs who are already showing 40 or 50 and they might say, well, if everybody else can get away with showing just 20, perhaps we'll take a similar approach.
1: Okay. Um, our next question comes from Russell Earl. Thank you for your question, Russell. Um, Again, I don't know why I say this. They're all good questions. Russell says one of our themes has been um, the influence of the betting industry on football. Uh, especially in the Premier League we see so many clubs sponsored by um, uh, betting companies Um, his question if the season is voided or cancelled will betting clubs uh, betting companies rather have to pay out or refund bets on promotion top scorer bets etc and will that affect their future investment in football given that the the betting industry must have lost a lot of money in the past two months.
0: Um, I I spoke to one of my friends this afternoon, who's involved in the betting industry. And he says they've not made their mind up yet because they're awaiting a final decision. If the, if the, if those leagues, which are declared null and void, I think there is a chance of some refunds rather than giving the, the, the payouts on the basis of what we've seen in the national league, North and South and so on. Um, if if things continue in League One, then they will wait until some final resolution, because if you think about it from the gambling company's point of view, the longer it is before, a, before the debt bet is finalised, the more time that they've got the money in their pocket um in terms of how things go forwards that there's no doubt that the gambling industry has been hit really hard it was very noticeable that some of the the big four gamblers were piling in um when the korean j league started last weekend um and the bundesliga again the usual suspects are there very much promoting it um they make so much money. I think they can still uh, they can still afford to invest significant sums in football going forwards because um, it, it's it's that sort of that nature of the relationship that both parties are propping each other up to a certain extent. Mm.
1: My second favorite sport, well, my the only other sport I really like is is steeplechases, horse racing. Um, and there are very strict rules in there. If if a race is declared null and void for some reason, there are very strict rules about what the refunds, etc. I presume the same rules apply in in football, or do different gambling companies have different rules and regulations? Because if if you bet on football, if you get one of those you know old football pool size coupons from a betting shop, if you turn it over on the back, there are very very small rules and regulations which no punters ever read, I imagine. But are they standardised or, or, or you know, does Paddy Power have different rules to corals when it comes to refunds, etc.?
0: I, I think amongst the, the UK big four that they're likely to be very consistent with one another. Um, I think my concerns would be that we've had an influx of overseas gambling companies um, which might come from different cultures, different local legislation rules, and that could impact upon their obligations to punters.
1: Now, this question... Comes from Liam Blaney. Hello, Liam. I, I, I'm going to give you a, an answer myself, which I think is rather clever, and I want you to mark me because it, you may think I've been paying attention throughout the whole. I think we're coming up to our fiftieth pod, aren't we? I believe.
0: I, I think today is number fifty.
1: Is it really? I, I, I yeah, yeah. glanced at a WhatsApp group message. I don't know. It was said this afternoon, half time between Union Berlin and Bayern Munich. Uh, Union being my German team, of course. Um, Liam says, "What are your thoughts on?" football clubs no longer being run as companies but instead being given charitable status working on the basis that in, in this crisis football clubs and both our clubs you know like many others have been doing fantastic work in the community uh feeding people etc so this idea of them being given charitable status now my my answer is and i think you'll agree with me is that if they were charities they would have to be much much stricter and on time with their financial reports, would they? Is that right?
0: That, that's right. The, the the degree of regulation. It was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give you a first for that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually grading uh, assignments as, <laughs> every day at present. Um, y- yes, the, the the charities commission does take a uh, a more forensic approach to the information which is produced by charities and, and rightly so because people donate to charities w- w- with, a, with a noble aim the vast majority of the time and you don't want that money to be abused. Um, so yes, I, I think the clubs would find themselves under a greater degree of scrutiny and whether or not they would like that is a separate issue. Um, also, the the cynic in me says that, that as a football fan, you know, as we're seeing with, with Newcastle United, at present, the prospect of rich foreign owners coming in and getting out a checkbook has got the fans very excited. Now, you couldn't do that if you were having to operate to the the, the demands of the, the charities commission who were saying, well, you can't lose too much money. You've got to aim to break even. Um, and therefore, that were, that means you've got to have a, a fairly balanced budget in terms of recruitment and things of that nature.
1: What would the benefits be though, if they were to become charitable companies
0: well the, the, there could be some taxation benefits, but then the clubs that we're looking at they all lose money and therefore they don't pay any tax anyway um I think in terms of raising profile raising funds they might they might be able to tap into some other sources but that that's broadly it you know the whole point about a charity is that you are doing good in the community and with the vast majority of the clubs um, in, in the Premier League and many in the EFL as well, having a community scheme, I'm I'm not sure of the, the overall benefit on turning the whole club into uh, effectively, so, you know, is it the tail wagging the dog?
1: Okay. Right, final question before you get your kit, before you do your uh, 4,000 miles, how Furlough. It's it's a long way. Is it yeah, okay. Yeah, let yeah, let's settle on a long way. Um Chris Cairns has asked this question. With with so many clubs placing non-playing staff on furlough, especially League One and League Two, could that lead to huge changes in how admin staff are used in future? And could more admin stuff like marketing, ticketing, etc., be outsourced or done by one central agency or by the EFL? itself, which strikes me as quite a sensible idea financially, doesn't it?
0: Um, certainly, there, there are potential cost savings from spreading fixed costs over over a greater number of people paying. Um, my, my concern would be is that many clubs have a local relationship and therefore they they know who to who to approach if if i'm if i am Walsall i know the companies in the local vicinity who are potential sponsors mm. um we know the reaction of fans so therefore we can price tickets accordingly for if they've got a tuesday match at home to somebody not very glamorous and i think if you take that flexibility away from those clubs then the the cost savings might be might be overwritten by by the loss of income and, and that lack of personal touch um, that you get because you're effectively going through to a call centre for everything.
1: Yeah, also the other side of that is likewise that you know if if I happen to need one extra ticket for a game against Burnley, I know exactly who in the ticket office I should be asking for that ticket. And also the the clubs with their databases are very good at identifying people who may want to pay the, spread the season ticket cost across the season. In three or four payments, and I suppose a centralised um, agency wouldn't wouldn't have that flexibility, would it?
0: Absolutely, spot on.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, so well, that's the um, it's, it's flown by, isn't it? As things exactly. tend to do when you forgot you had a pod and you had a bottle of wine during the afternoon. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I, I, I kind of knew we had a pod coming up sometime, but I didn't think it was as quickly as an hour afterwards. Anyway. I didn't actually fall asleep. I was—I didn't have to be woken up. But um, it says here, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Price of Football in your podcast app and leave us a review or rating. Um, but if you don't like what you hear, you won't still be listening, will you? So screw you, guys. Um, <laughs> Also, I said podcast then, didn't I? That's shocking. You did. I know, after having to go at you for saying elephant and castle, and I accidentally said podcast there. It's, you know, <laughs> shocking, podcast. Um, if you have questions for us for our Monday pod, please email us on questions at com. And as ever, we have been a Daptip production. Uh, Kieran, have a good long night talking to China. Um, I'll be awake in two days' time, I imagine. <laughs> um, and to everybody else listening, stay safe and stay well. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye, folks. My son football.